Welcome to the high-level podcast series run by UNESCO Inclusive Policy Lab. We're very glad to have you all here listening to this very important conversation. This series introduced listeners to the world-leading thinkers and decision-makers as they discuss how we can build back better from the situation we are facing now. And, and, and the most important thing, how we can reset in a fairer and a smarter way after COVID-19. Today is a very special day. We are joined uh, by Minister Brojon Goro, the Minister of Research and Technology of Indonesia. He doesn't really need an introduction because he has been one of the key players that explains the very successful story of Indonesia in the last decade, having been the Minister of Finance, having been the Minister of Planning, Development Planning, and now we have him uh, as Minister of Research and Technology. Minister Brojon Goro, Welcome. Yeah. It's a great pleasure to have you here, uh, and, and, and there's no better guest to connect with, that, with us, the dot of the post-COVID recovery, the place of knowledge in it, and the ways to make it inclusive. Thank you, uh, Gabriela. This is Gabriela Ramos, UNESCO's Assistant Director General for Social and Human Science, and I will be your host today. Let us first discuss how we could make this recovery both smart and inclusive. The moment might be now to make a big stride towards the knowledge economy. It's true that uh, the digital technologies don't need to be um, um, uh, excluding. Uh, we know that the digital and the artificial intelligence and all these uh, impressive technologies have helped us wave the pandemic in many ways. Uh, on the health side, by uh, creating the vaccine on the on the economic side, by you and I connecting you at the, in the afternoon, I'm in, in the morning in Paris, and and it has really provided a lot of services that have helped us a lot. But the fact is that they have also opened a lot of uh, angles of inequalities. Not all the people are connected. Not all the people know what's behind an artificial intelligence. Not all the firms are really uh, uh, dealing with the with the with these issues, and therefore my question to you, uh, Minister, uh, because you're dealing with it in Indonesia, how can we ensure that really the building up of this knowledge economy is inclusive? What are the plans not only to take advantage of these technologies and be at the forefront of of the of the global uh, technological transformation? but also to ensure that those groups that are more vulnerable and that are left behind can also be included in this transformation. Yeah. In the era of digital technology, I believe uh, the key issue would be digital connectivity. And this connectivity issue will be even more relevant for countries like Indonesia. I think different with France, for example. Yeah, France is not a small country, but France, fortunately, is a, a continental country. So you can, you know, you can make a connection directly to any so-called remote village in France much more easily than when you are trying to connect to the so-called remote areas in Indonesia. Because again, Indonesia is the largest archipelagic country. And when we talking about connection, then it's not just, you know, a simple connection, but it has to have a lot of effort. So that's why when you are trying to, you know, uh, promote uh, digital technology and also the at the end knowledge economy into uh, equality, 
First thing first is to build the infrastructure, making sure the infra basic infrastructure is there and well connected to the last mile. Last mile here, not only to the all villages, but also to the household. And in Indonesia, uh, 2019, we already completed the backbone of our uh, telecommunication infrastructure. We call it Palaparing, that basically connects all areas in Indonesia. But it's still the backbone. So the next step is to make sure that we have the intermediate mile and the last mile. And from this year, 2021, the government already declared that the telecommunication or ICT infrastructure will be considered the basic infrastructure. Previously, we tend to, you know, uh, think that the telecommunication infrastructure, the cable, and also for the ICT is kind of luxurious infrastructure because only people dealing with internet will need that kind of connectivity. But now everybody needs internet. And especially during the pandemic, all students need to do uh, their online classes, of course, by the help of the broadband. So that's why from this year, we have the new category of the basic infrastructure, which includes the ICT. So it means government will spend more uh, budget in order to try to connect to the last mile, uh, both to the villages and to the, to the household. And for your information, Indonesia has around 74,000 villages, 12,000 out of them not yet connected by the so-called the internet connection. It means, you know, the students in that area will have difficulty when they have to follow the study by the online. So I think the completion of the base of the infrastructure of the ICT infrastructure to the last mile will be the critical element when you are trying to uh, disseminate the knowledge economy uh, all over the country. Of course, after that, we are talking about the content, we are talking about the quality of the connection. But first, we need to make sure that everyone, every household is well connected uh, in the country. You are touching upon the most important issue, connectivity, but then, of course, we then have the digital skills, and then we have the gender, and then we have the schools, and then we have diversity. In UNESCO, we're a very proud minister because we're working on a recommendation on ethics of artificial intelligence, which has to do with this, with inclusivity, and with uh, with uh, uh, really ensuring that uh, it benefits all. But let me take you to some other places, because you are, uh, of course, the minister of research. And we, we have witnessed the power of science to, to take us out of the most uh, gloomy phases of this uh, COVID pandemic, a pandemic that started as a health crisis and then went into the economics and now is a social crisis. Uh, but we know that science had provided some of the answers. But science at the same time is being neglected in some places. And, and so how, how do we uh, ensure, Minister, that uh, the knowledge systems, including, of course, the digital transformation, provide solid answers to policymakers? We are worried that there's an emerging group of uh, leaders and, and, and policymakers that are not listening to science. How, what would you say about that? Yeah, I would say that, uh, of course, we know about the term seeing is believing. 
So when you are talking about the policymaker, of course, they will believe in science if they think the science can provide the answer to uh, their uh, question. And of course, their question or their, requ their request is how a human being can deal with COVID-19. So that's why when, you know, the pandemic officially was in Indonesia, uh, March last year, uh, our ministry uh, right away gathered a team, you know, we formed a team uh, comprising of not only researchers, but also we all uh, involve the government agencies as well as private sector and state-owned enterprise. The idea is to to what is it to do research or basically reverse engineering in relatively short period of time in order to come out with any products that will help dealing with COVID-19. And when finally, I remember in May or June last year, we finally came out with the, our very first product, which is very simple, the antibody rapid test, you know, because at the time, everybody is, you know, looking for the way to detect COVID-19 in the easiest way, not just with a PCR. So at the time, Indonesia imported a lot antibody rapid, rapid tests from uh, different countries. But uh, we think that we can work on this kind of product. So when we finally come out with the products, then the policymakers think, oh, science and technology is really the answer if we want to deal with this pandemic uh, in the proper way. So that's why after that, the support, at least the public support, the moral support for science and technology related to COVID becomes, you know, very strong. So after that, we came out with the uh, uh, rapid test for antigen and then also for uh, breathalyzer to detect uh, people with the COVID, as well as even from the beginning of our uh, pandemic, we declared that Indonesia is going to develop our own COVID-19 vaccine. For your information, we never so-called uh, develop vaccine from the scratch up to the vaccination, never done before. But we realized during this COVID-19, when everybody's racing to make the vaccine, at the same time, everybody's trying to, you know, block, you know, they're trying to secure their vaccine. As a result, as you, can, as you are witnessing today, there are shortages of vaccine everywhere in the world. So that's an alarming uh, trend for Indonesia, meaning that Indonesia really needs to have our own capability in developing vaccine. Of course, our COVID-19 vaccine is not yet uh, completed. It's still on the lab stage, but at least the science or science and technology community already proved to the policymakers, to politicians that science and technology cannot be ignored. You know, if you ignore science and technology, you will depend a lot on importing any products. And when you import something during the pandemic, when the global demand is very high, you know the consequences. The price will be high and the supply will be limited. So that's why uh, this, is the, this is our strategy to make sure that science and technology are important. Again, 
Seeing is believing. It's completely true and, and I commend uh, these uh, impressive efforts of Indonesia. We have seen that the countries that tested the more control better uh, and, and, and you came with this indigenous uh, innovation uh, that, that really helped uh, your, your, your country to, to, to address uh, the, the need to know uh, and the need to identify and, to, and the need to stop contagion. So that was uh, very impressive, this, this uh, uh, test that you, that you developed. And, and also I, I wish you would, good luck with the vaccines because I'm convinced that uh, the capacities and the, and the business model of the production of vaccines need to change if we really want to reach out uh, all the population and avoid the, the vaccine nationalism that we have seen. But you, but you are Minister of uh, Science and Innovation and science and innovation is not only natural science and uh, technology, it's yeah. also the counterpart, the social and human sciences. Yeah. And, and yes, yes, I'm, I'm bringing the light because I am the ADG for social and human sciences. You touch on something that is very interesting, the vaccines. We have the vaccines, but we also have a large group of people that don't want to be vaccinated for whatever reason, because of misinformation, because and then you need to consider how do you bring together what the insights that social and human science can provide to understand better people, to address their beliefs, to address their uh, concerns, to address the dynamics in the communities. And I would like to hear with you because this uh, this might, might, might seem like the not so visible when we talk about science, but they are as important. In, in UNESCO, we have the Managing of Social Transformation Program that is looking at these issues. And mm -hmm. as I said, the Inclusive Policy Lab is, is, is centering on people. How do you bring the social and human science ministers when you are dealing with people, for example, that don't want to get a vaccine? Yeah, I think you're right that uh, since the beginning, we haven't talked about the social and humanity. And actually, um, I'm also from that area because I'm a professor in economics. But then uh, I realized when we are talking about this uh, area of science and technology, it cannot be completed without the existence of a good uh, and supporting research in social and humanity. So, for example, when we are talking about vaccine, in Indonesia, in general, uh, there are two reasons why some group of people do not want to be vaccinated. First one, because of the religious reason. I think, uh, you know, in uh, as a Muslim, uh, you cannot so-called consume the so-called forbidden product or in Arabic called haram. So we cannot, of, of course, uh, Muslim cannot uh, consume pork. And we are not talking pork just as meat, but also the derivative of the pork itself. And, you know, in, uh, in the history of vaccine, we are talking about vaccine in general, not only COVID-19 vaccine, there was element related to gelatine, gelatine coming from the pork that used to basically culture the virus before the virus can be processed into the vaccine. So actually, the vaccine itself, the final product of the vaccine, doesn't contain any, any element related to the pork, for example. But then in the process way before, there was an element of pork involved in gelatine to culture the virus. So in this case, 
uh, we use the social and humanity approach, of course, involving the religious leaders, religious scholars, trying to uh, convince people, trying to socialize to the people that actually there is no uh, pork element or pig element in the vaccine itself. And in fact, now we, because of the technology, so uh, I would say that the, the impact of the social response will also change the technology itself. So I already know that there are now some kind of substitute for gelatin. Doesn't have to come only from the pork, but can only also come from the cow, can also come from other uh, elements. So this is the area in which social and humanity will be very important. We understand why they are objected. They are, you know, they have objection against vaccination, and we are trying to provide the answer. And and when we try to answer their concern, of course, you cannot use kind of scientific language too much. You have to use simple language, but they can uh, get the sense of their uh, message. The second, the second group, usually the people who think that the vaccination can create some kind of side effect. And the side effect could be autism or other type of uh, side effects. So in this case, of course, uh, social and humanity will not play a lot. I mean, in, uh, in, I mean, of course, the research has to be done based on the medical research, whether the vaccine will really create some serious side effects. But with the way of campaigning that the vaccine is safe and the vaccine already passed the, some clinical trial in which they already proven not to create the side effect, then the social humanity can have the impact by, you know, how to convince people that uh, the idea that side effect uh, can be created by the vaccine is not true. So I think that's the area in which uh, uh, social and humanity can play important role in making sure people get vaccination. And one more thing, of course, this pandemic vaccination is different with other immunization program, you know. You get the vaccine, not simply because of your personal interest or your personal needs, but you get the vaccine because of the communal, community needs. You know, the, the herd immunity. So the way we convince people that herd immunity is the interest or the needs of everybody. So it means you get vaccinated because you want to help others, not only to help yourself. And I think using the different type of social and humanity approach, I think uh, vaccination will be more widely accepted, especially during this pandemic era. You really need to bring all the science together. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, one after the other in the different uh, angles that we need to advance. And I'm convinced that, uh, as you say, you need to talk to people, you need to create trust, and, and social and human science provide with this understanding of how trust is, is fostered. Let me now turn into um, your own mandate, Minister. Uh, you are the research and innovation, and uh, yes, we need to deal with the pandemic, but the pandemic, we hope, 
uh, will be over. There will come some other challenges. But the great efforts that countries have made to face the pandemic, including in the financial and the fiscal side, might mean with, with, that we will have limited resources to invest exactly on science and innovation. And therefore, uh, how do we deal with that, uh, Minister? How do we make investment and scientific uh, research from from all the angles, uh, from the natural science, but also the social and human science, to keep on building the, the, the solutions that we need for the world? How do you secure these investments? And then, Minister, uh, what do we do about the uh, looming next crisis on the on the climate transformation? So two questions, how to invest and how to make it meaningful to the challenges we're facing. Over to you, yeah. Minister. Yeah, I think first, uh, when we are dealing uh, with the pandemic, we, we are not stopping our main activities related to research and innovation. In fact, we have the so-called national research and innovation priorities for five years, 2020, 2024. In that uh, strategy, uh, what we are trying to do is, of course, we start from very small resources. Indonesia is relative, relatively small when we are talking about the R&D investment or R&D spending. According to the latest data, our investment or spending on R&D in total only 0.3% of our GDP, you know, while our GDP may be now more than maybe 1.1 or 1.2 trillion US dollar. But of course, this 1.3%, 0.3%, sorry, is very small. Much smaller, for example, compared to the our neighbors and especially to the countries with the highest uh, spending on R&D, which is South Korea, around 4.3% of their GDP. So from 0.3% of GDP, 80% of them contributed by the government. So it means research and innovation in Asia today very much depends on government budget. And of course, it's not healthy because when you depend on government budget, you will be, uh, you know, you will be vulnerable to any potential budget cut. For example, during the pandemic, of course, every everything other than direct uh, activities related to pandemic has to experience budget cut. And we are not an exception. So in this case, we cannot rely too much on government budget. Our strategy is trying to involve now more private sector, including, of course, a state-owned enterprise. The idea is Indonesia, starting late last year, already had the new fiscal incentive for research and innovation. That's called the super tax deduction, meaning that any companies, any private sector that invest in R&D can get the tax deduction up to 300%, three times. So for example, if they invest $1 million for R&D in their products, then at the end of the fiscal year, they can get the deduction around 3 million US dollars. The idea is trying to inject more uh, private sector uh, money or investment into R&D activities. Of course, it will help R&D activities in Indonesia because usually 
when private companies trying to do R&D, they will cooperate with universities, they will cooperate with research institutes. So at least the ecosystem for research innovation will start to be more uh, dynamic. And of course, why we trying to get more support from private sector, we follow other countries, other countries that already successful in their innovation. So in the case of South Korea, for example, 70% out of their total investment in R&D coming from private sector, only 30% from the government. So Indonesia needs to move into the direction, that direction of the proportion between uh, private sector and government. So this is our strategy, aside from making sure that every uh, cents or every rupiah will be worth it when we do the research. And how can we make it worth it? By having priorities. So we are not just doing research based on any researcher's interest or their hobby or their uh, special focus. We have our own focus. We have the priority for doing research and we then invite the universities or research institutes to be involved in doing this uh, prioritized uh, research activities. So this is our strategy. We know, Minister, and this is something that I that I underscore in the in the introduction of this uh, of this conversation. Uh, the 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 social and human science in UNESCO is really uh, underscoring the policy research policy link, and therefore uh, I don't need to tell you because I know that uh, you are already on top of it. Uh, but but channeling resources to try to find solutions to the big challenges we're facing, and the biggest of all is the climate transition is yeah. is one of the most strategic investments we can make. So that I want to link this uh, very interesting response in terms of bringing the multi-stakeholder, private, public, universities into uh, producing more knowledge on how do we also uh, influence uh, the solutions that we can have for, for the climate issues. Yeah, uh, certainly Indonesia, of course, would like to comply with the Paris Agreement. We need to, of course, reduce our level of emission. And we have several strategies to deal with that. One of them, for example, renewable energy. So part of the so-called prioritized research activities will be in the area of renewable energy. And in Indonesia, for example, we, we might have several potential of primary renewable energy. Uh, we are talking about uh, solar panel, we are talking about the, the wind, we are talking about geothermal, which Indonesia could have one of the biggest in the world. And then we have water as well, hydropower, as well as the biomass or bioenergy. So we are trying to uh, conduct the research in making sure that Indonesia will be ready when, let's say, at one time in the future, fossil fuel has to be phased out. And of course, now we still depend so much on coal and oil and gas. So we need to prepare to make sure that we have the a good substitute, the, the renewable substitute for this fossil fuel. And of course, we, uh, our research is intended to make sure that we will be ready when the transformation or transition has to happen. And of course, it's not just about the renewable energy, but one of the 
topic in our national research priority is circular economy. So we are talking to make, we are dealing with the issue of the waste. And Indonesia in urban area, many urban areas in Indonesia really cannot manage their own waste. You know, they are really behind in the area. So with the idea of circular economy, we can solve not only the waste issue, especially in urban areas, but also we can solve the issue of the either energy or any products that can be created from the circular economy, making sure that the waste will be zero, but the new products will come out from the circular economy. So this is one of uh, our contribution to the national strategy in fulfilling the Paris Agreement. Thank you so much, uh, Minister. We have really learned a lot of, uh, of the very interesting plans you have. It seems that you're really on top of these issues. And Indonesia is in, in such uh, great hands uh, when dealing with uh, this important dossier that is going to help us uh, get out of the crisis and probably uh, step up uh, the efforts to deliver on the SDGs. Um, let me finish our conversation, Minister, with the one million question. How the social and human science sector of UNESCO can help you and can help Indonesia with these very strategic issues? Yes, uh, of course, uh, the support from UNESCO will be very important because at the end of the day, when you have very good progress in science, I mean, the natural science and uh, hardcore technology, and you are already in the Industrial Revolution 4.0, then there is a potential of big social issue coming out from the implementation of Industrial Revolution 4.0, especially at the earlier stage, when people are still nervous, people still cautious about what's going to happen with this uh, automation, artificial intelligence, any robots and anything that is unknown before. So I believe the social and humanity department or division of UNESCO can help countries like Indonesia that still at the very early stage of Industrial Revolution 4.0, how the society can adapt with the, the future. And especially uh, in this area, people still nervous about how the potential of losing the jobs, because maybe most of many of their jobs will be substituted by automation, by robots, by artificial intelligence. So, you know, the sense that human cannot, human might be uh, useless, I think makes many people quite nervous. So that's the area in which social and humanity division of UNESCO can help Indonesia. And, and we will be there for you, uh, Minister Countenos. Uh, the world is looking at Indonesia. Indonesia, even in the context of the pandemic, is uh, providing very good insights. What happens in the Indonesia matters, not only because of the size, 270 million people is not a small deal, but also yeah. but the very important reforms and policies that you are undertaking and that you have, you have shared with our, with our public. Uh, I, I really want to thank you, Minister. We have reached the end of this podcast. Uh, we were with Minister uh, Brojon Goro, uh, the Minister of uh, Research and Innovation of Indonesia, 
and we have learned a lot of how to deal with these very complex issues. Uh, Minister, last uh, word from you, but I just want to thank you for, for taking the time and for sharing with us these very important uh, issues. Thank you, uh, Gabriela, for this opportunity and also uh, looking forward for uh, closer cooperation between UNESCO and our ministry. Thank you, friends, for joining us. You have been in the podcast of the uh, Inclusive Policy Lab of the Social and Human Science Sector at UNESCO. Thank you so much. Thank you.